Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest is writer, blogger, and leukemia survivor, Michelle Malero. As Michelle states, So what my experience from leukemia? It is one of the main reasons I wanted to keep living was to try. Just write. Because I never tried to write before. So I owe it to myself. Hi, Michelle. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good. So what would you like coaching on? Um, okay, so basically when I um, came down with leukemia, uh, I promised myself that I would write because I had always neglected that part of myself. And um, I started writing uh, slowly but surely. I, I, I got there. And this year I, I left my, my corporate job and I became a freelance writer. And I've had to get over already a lot of hurdles because I've had, um, let's say, I thought it was be, I thought it was going to be a lot easier to to do this, but I had a bit of imposter syndrome, and I already did some coaching to help with that. Um, you know, I did a lot of coaching already to to get over some of these hurdles. One of the things that always keeps cropping up is this confidence factor. So, when I start with a new client as a freelance writer, I have multiple clients. When I start with a new client, I have a new topic. Um, it's kind of like I freeze, you know, I'll start like sweating. I will, it will take me double the amount of time to do anything. Um, it, it, it's part, not, I don't want to say procrastination, but I think I actually try to do too much. And in trying to do too much, I get confused. So I think it's a lack of confidence that's keeping me blocked this way. It's making my work harder than it actually should be because I know how to write. I know how to do this job. So that's what I want to work on. Right. So what I'm hearing from you is after surviving leukemia and promising yourself that you're going to write you were sort of tackling other things including imposter syndrome and right now it's confidence confidence sort of in not allowing you to to know that you can do the work but to just really fully embrace it is that correct yes so what would be like a really really great outcome today a really great outcome today would be that the next time I get a new client, um, the first thing that's not going to be overwhelming me is fear. 
it's going to be like, I can do this. This is great. I know it. So the next time you get a client, it's not going to be fear, but it's going to be confidence. Enthusiasm and confidence. Yes. So how has your work um, life been in terms of the different, uh, you know, you said you, you left a corporate job. How, how has that sort of transpired for you? The, the transition period or just the, um, the change in work? Both. Um, the transition period wasn't bad. Uh, again, I start off by doing a content marketing course. And luckily, um, I had a, an economic cushion. So I wasn't really, you know, worrying about the, the monetary aspect of it. I think one of the main challenges as well, maybe is the time management, because I'm my own boss, I'm the one who's organizing my work. And, um, and one of the other factors, which may also have to do with confidence, is the fact that I was always so slow. I've always been slow at doing everything because I'm so conscientious of what I'm doing. Um, I don't like to say I'm a perfectionist because I know that that's, you know, uh, it doesn't exist. I'm not looking for perfection. I just want it to be the best that it can possibly, that I can make it be. Um, So I think up until now, I think the time management factor has been uh, one that I've been slightly struggling with. So the time management is something that keeps you from doing yeah and when you made that transition what was going on in your sort of head and heart and everything else um well the the decision itself was very difficult and again I work with an industrial psychologist because I knew I want I had this idea and I said okay since I've always been a person who takes so much time in making decisions, I'm like, I'm not going to do it alone this time. So I got an industrial psychologist. We did six sessions and she helped me actually explore other options before I just, I came back to my original idea, but it made me much more clear on where I wanted to go. And of course I had an action plan and everything. Um, And then the transition itself was, I think it's, it's natural that a little bit of, a little bit of fear, is great because it gets your heart pumping and you're, you get, you're energized, you're excited because you really want to start. And I was really lucky because as soon as I finished the course, um, within less than a month, I had already found my first client. So I was really, really lucky. Um, and maybe I think that could also be it. I wasn't expecting to get so many clients so quickly. So it could be also a little overwhelming. So when you got that first client, what was happening um, in your body? I was so excited. (laughs) I was excited, but I was also scared. What was, was there anything that was um, more pronounced during that time for you when, when that client showed up? Um, Pronounced in what way? You know, you said you were very excited. Were, were you, you know, different people have different reactions when they hear good news. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Um, no, I was, I was thrilled. Um, I really liked also, you know, the client's values and everything. So even that was really, really exciting. Um, I think it also confirmed the fact that I, you know, I could do this. So it was, I had really positive feelings about that. And Again, it took me 
of course, this is all subjective. I think it's taking me a long time, but I don't know. Maybe other people take the same amount of time. It's just me that's putting this pressure on myself, <laughs> saying I'm taking a long time, but I have nothing to compare it with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So since that time that you got that first client and you were beaming, mm-hmm. what has transpired where you found that you're lacking in confidence? Um, I still think I'm probably focused on the time it's taking me to get clear as I'm writing. So um, what will happen is, I mean, obviously um, I follow an outline Uh, I do a first draft and then I do a second draft. So it used to be that the outlines were the hardest part. It depends. It depends for each client because then each client is different too. So some people will like uh, have an outline that's already set. Other people will have an outline that I can work with. Another person will have an outline that I start from scratch. Um, So I think that the most difficult part is when I think it's when the outline is already set in stone and I have to somehow go in and understand their um, exactly what what they want so it's it's harder for me to immerse myself into something that's already not completed but something an outline that's already done in order for me to get my voice their voice, I have to use their voice and get to the point of, get to the heart of the, 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 the question, the heart of the, the article that I need to write. That for me is very hard. So what's your process like? How do you go about doing that then? Um, so I do also, um, I refine the outline for me because I like to do a lot of research. I love doing research. I'm not happy until I know everything. Um, and then I'll start on the first draft. And as I'm starting on the first draft, this is one of the problems that comes up, not so much with one of the other clients where I start the outline from scratch. Um, it's that I don't have enough information. I need more information. So I'll go back and do more research because for me, as I'm writing, questions will come into my head as I think, what will the reader think? What is the reader? What will the reader need to know? Is this clear for the reader? So I'm always going back and I'm trying to understand, is this, is this going to be clear for the reader? Um, and so while I'm writing, I'm continu- continually going back and forth. I, I need more research. This isn't working. I'll put this here. And I suppose that's normal for everybody, but I'd like to have a little bit more clarity during that time. I don't know if it is a lack of confidence, if it's a lack of um, process. Do I need to change the process? Michelle, what are you really good at? I'm really good at understanding people. I'm good at communicating. I'm really good at um, inspiring other people. I'm good at motivating other people. I'm creative. 
And so what do you think you need work on still? That's a good question. <laughs> you mentioned all these things that you're good at. I think understanding that I can just do it, just to get over my own self, get out, get out of my own way. I think I just need to get out of my own way. Get out of your own way mm -hmm. and be confident, confident in yourself. Yeah. When you say get out of your own way, mm -hmm. does that hit you anywhere in your body? My throat. Your throat. Mm -hmm. What's happening in the throat? Constricts. It constricts. Have you felt this feeling before? Um, yeah, because it's either in my throat or it's in my chest. It's in your throat or your chest. Mm -hmm. Would you like to explore this a little, a little bit and do an experiment? Sure. Okay, so let's just do a quick body scan. Okay. So once you get comfortable in, in your seat, mm -hmm. you can soften your gaze or close your eyes. So once you take a couple of breaths in and out, we'll just do a quick scan of the body. And I just want you to breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. The top of the head, forehead, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, lips, the neck, shoulders, upper body, the hands, the chest, the abdomen, the lower body, legs, feet. And take a couple of breaths in and out. When you think of or feel into this restriction, what's happening? It's still there, slightly. Can you describe it? It feels like there's a cylinder between my throat and whatever's there. <laughs> cylinder between your throat and whatever's there. Yeah. Is there, can you describe that, uh, that other thing that's there? No, it's more like the cylinder that's pushing against my throat. What do you suppose its purpose is? It's probably trying to say something. <laughs> Can you feel into that and see if there's any wisdom there? It probably wants to say something 
I'm not sure what, but it probably is trying to communicate. Has it given you these messages in your past before? Um, a while ago, a long time ago when I was doing coaching. Uh, I had a coach at one point. Um, and again, I had uh, got a coach because I had just transitioned to a new role in, my, in the corporate job. So oddly enough, transition, here we are again. So it just could be that my own body is trying to tell me something. <laughs> okay. So Maybe back to get out of my own way. <laughs> so back then, how did you get past it? Or did you? Oh, did I? That's a good question. Did I ever get past it? Because I had a, a new role. And even though I liked it a lot, it was it was great fun. I was it was not the role for me. So and I think that maybe that was trying to tell me this is not for you. Uh, I don't think that's the case here because I really enjoy what I'm doing. So I do think it is trying to tell me to get out of my own way because I think when I do, I'll find much more creative things to, or say things in a, in a much more creative way when I do. And again, it's when I let down, I think at the time when I'm writing <clears throat> and as I'm struggling, um, what happens is, is that at one point, it's kind of like there's a fog and I'll see clearly all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, okay, I have it. I know what's wrong. I know what, what I've been doing wrong up until this point. And that's when I'll find everything. Everything just comes flowing. So, and I think for a writer, um, you want to get into that state of flow. And of course, if, if I'm feeling constricted, I can't do that. So Michelle, I'm curious, what's the vision for yourself regarding this career choice? The vision is basically I wanted to write. I wanted to, I want to also do creative writing as well. Uh, but of course I can't depend on that creative writing earning me a living right away. And so I thought, what could I do just still writing uh, that could help me make a living while I also explore my create my creative writing. So the vision for this is to do something that I love um, that will provide me uh, stabi economic stability while I also explore my creativity. So what are the qualities of writing that you actually love? Um, I love screenwriting. I just started sh uh, short story writing in the past couple of years. Um, and so fiction and, and screenwriting. What about the writing process or writing in general inspires you? I think it's just the communication. So with the nonfiction writing, so I have a blog as well, um, 
in uh, this content writing, it is the ability to communicate and to um, spread information and ideas. The, the fiction, and what if, why I've read since I was a little girl, I always love when I get to a part in a novel and you read one phrase and that phrase just resonates so deeply within you that you know it's the truth. That, I would love to be able just to create that. If I could have, if I could do that for somebody else, I'd love it. That's what I would love to do. I'm sort of wondering, is there any constriction when you write? Well, I have to adhere to, to guidelines when I'm writing uh, content, either for clients or for myself, um, because it, often, it always has to be, um, let's say, friendly for, for Google and company. Um, so those are constrictions. But again, there are also uh, constrictions when you're dealing with screenwriting or whether you're dealing with fiction, because you have uh, conventions that you also have to adhere to. You mentioned that you creatively write. Are there constrictions when you do that? I think there's always some some limits when you're writing. I think that's what makes the writing great. You know, if you think of Shakespeare's sonnets, they had to be in the written in a certain way or else they wouldn't come out the way they did. And he wrote some some wonderful sonnets. So there's always limitations and those limitations are actually what helps you to create something great. What, would, what do you need in order to become that great writer? More practice. I think uh, even now, and just from September until today, and that's in six months, I think I've improved leaps and bounds. Um, just because of the amount of, of writing I'm doing every day, and for my creative writing, same thing. I'm I'm doing it much more slowly than I am with uh, with the content writing, but it's it's still improving. So I think that practice. What are some ways that you can express these needs to the clients that you serve? Well, what I do is I, I'm, I'm always, um, so for one client, the, the most recent one, I asked a lot of questions. And even the, the first client I do as well. The second client is much more, uh, much easier just because I'm writing everything almost from scratch. So I don't have as much, as many issues, but um, I, again, I could ask more questions with the second client as well. So I tend to ask a lot of questions just to get that uncertainty out of the way. So if you was to create a character mm -hmm. and separate yourself from your non-confidence or lack of confidence now what would you how would you script that what would you tell the what would the character be doing if i had to write myself as a character mm -hmm. regarding this 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 particular quandary you're in what would the character be doing 
mm-hmm. to to get past this hurdle. She would look herself in the mirror and she would just say, you can do this. Just cut all the crap. <laughs> she would look at herself in the mirror and say, you can do this. Cut out all the crap. All the mental crap. <laughs> all the mental crap. What's the mental crap saying to you? Uh, the mental crap saying that maybe this isn't good enough. Maybe you should do this a different way. You know, is this the right way forward? Is there something else that you could be saying? And if that character actually did that, would that solve the character's problem? It could. Okay. I mean, had- I could get up when I'm feeling this uncertainty, this, this lack of confidence, just go into the, to the bathroom here and say, stop it. <laughs> and in your life, if you was to do that, would, would that be even feasible or practical? Sure. What would that actually do for you, you suppose? It would probably get me out of my head. I think that's what I tend to do too much, just to, to start, um, you know, you start this loop where you think, is this right? Is this wrong? This is something, you read something, you, this is not going the way it should be. So it's just a way for me to get up out of my chair, go into another room, look myself into the mirror and say, stop it. And I'm curious if you was to, I don't know, resource some insight from your heart, would the heart have any, anything else to say about this besides looking yourself in the mirror? My heart, what would my heart say? My heart would say, just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Do you actually believe that? Yeah. Have you ever used that phrase for other things in your life? Oh, God. (laughs) Now I'm going to cry. So I don't want to cry because it's going to take a while to say it, but okay, now I can do it. So when I had leukemia, that was a big, that was a big thing. That belief. And again, I never um, tried to um, fake myself into thinking everything was going to be okay. But I think both know it's, you know, we know there's a there's a risk that everything's not going to be okay. The only thing I could do was to believe that anything, that everything would be okay, no matter what the situation, no matter what happened. I could die. Even if I died, it would be okay. That was the belief. How'd you get through all that? Self-love. Because I think when, um, so when you say self-love, it sounds like you're talking about you love your body, you love yourself. It's not, it's not about that. It's just about loving life. I think if you love yourself, you love life and you realize how precious it is. And that doesn't mean that it's just your life. It means everyone's life. And there's really a big connection there. You know, so it's, and it's, it's kind of um, contradictory because you're saying self-love, but what you actually mean is just love of life itself. So that means everything, every living thing. 
Were there any support systems in place that helped you in believing yourself during that time? Um, there was a psychologist in the, in the hospital ward. Uh, but I think it was just basically the, the fellow um, patients that the sense of camaraderie and so during that time and I had a lot of friends I mean I have a lot of friends but I had a lot of friends who were, who were helping me so I did have a very very good support system in place because I never felt alone now that you've come through that experience is there anything else it wants to provide you regarding this writing career choice So what my experience as uh, um, from leukemia. Mm-hmm. It's one of the main reasons I wanted to keep living was to was to try just write. Just write because I had never tried to write before. So I owe it to myself. And if these imposter syndrome and these negative thoughts get into your head, how do you how do you suppose you are able to tackle it? Well, the imposter syndrome is better because um, just by writing so much now, it doesn't it doesn't happen anymore. And I'm certain it will be the same as I go forward. The more I write, the more confidence I will have. Um, and again, getting good feedback too, which I have been getting from, from my clients. That's, that's been helping as well. So it's just me remembering that and getting out of my own way while I'm actually writing. <laughs> so Michelle, we talked a lot about the confidence and and your writing and now with your leukemia experience and believing in yourself and seeing yourself in the mirror. How's this all landing for you now? It feels good. And my throat feels a lot better too. (laughs) Throat feels a lot better. Is it constricted or what's no, it's, it's looser. It's a bit more relaxed now. You know, how can you keep yourself really accountable to this new way of feeling and thinking and being? Well, for one, I'm going to put a little post-it up on my workspace um, saying, check in, do a mirror check-in. A mirror check-in? Yeah. (laughs) I'll go that way. I'll get up out of my chair and go to the mirror and say, stop it. (laughs) And what about this belief in yourself where you got so emotional? How can you incorporate something that's more actionable? For that, I can I can make an intent every morning. So I usually meditate every morning before I start the day. So um, I could do that. 
as an intention, either before the meditation or after the meditation, um, is to believe in myself. Wow. So how's this, um, is this a good place for us to transition? Do you feel complete? Yeah. I feel liberated. Thank you. You feel liberated. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. In what area of the body are you liberated right now? Here it's between my, my throat and my chest. Throat and your chest. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Michelle. There's a, my- there's a chakra there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think it's just the throat chakra. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle, um, Michelle Valero, please tell my audience more about you, um, what you do for a living, you know, who you are as a person and what your you know, mission and vision is. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a U.S. expat. I live in Italy. I came to Italy about 30 years ago just to learn the language and wound up staying. Um, I am currently a freelance uh, content writer, an aspiring screenwriter and writer. And I also have my own blog. Uh, called the Resilient Woman, where I share my my resilience, my stories of resilience, and the things I have understood um, about resilience through my leukemia journey. So, and that my aim with that blog is to actually help other people who are struggling with life challenges. It doesn't have to be cancer, obviously. There are a lot of challenges out there nowadays. Now that, um, as we know from these past two years, especially. So um, I really wanted to be able to share what I've learned from my cancer journey uh, through this blog. So Michelle, I know you and I connected because you were so kind and contributing to my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global. I survived cancer. Here's how I did it, uh, which is soon going to be a book, (laughs) which I'm really excited about. But um, from that um, series, what did you glean that was the most important things that anyone going through a, a major health battle can take away? Yeah, I really love, love that interview, um, especially because maybe not everyone will agree, but I really do think that any type of malaise in the body is manifesting itself for some reason. And you had this wonderful question, like if your body could, if your, if your cancer could talk, what would it tell you? And I remember talking about this when I, as soon as I got sick, you know, I was like, okay, this is happening for a reason. What reason? And I knew that my, um, my body was trying to tell me that I was unhappy, totally unsatisfied. And I was totally on the wrong track because I was doing nothing, absolutely nothing that I loved. And I had slowly stop doing everything that I loved just because I had started a new role that wasn't fulfilling to me, um, both um, mentally, emotionally, but really spiritually. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a wonderful question. And I really, really appreciated that question because um, I think it's important. I think it's important, whatever, even if you have like a headache sometimes, you know, why do I have a headache? Am I stressed? Maybe I'm stressed about something. You know, it's, it's, the body can manifest these things in such a way that it might just be telling you, Hey, maybe you should stop like running around or, Hey, maybe you should stop drinking all that alcohol or, Hey, maybe you should start eating better, you know, but it's, um, it's a simple question, but it can really lead to some big answers. Yeah. I would have to say it took me a few years. Um, so I got diagnosed in 2014 
I'm seven years in remission, but it took me a few years after that um, to really process emotionally uh, and even mentally to some degree um, and spiritually as well, what I was going through at that time, because physically I was doing the right things, eating right, exercising, seeing my naturopath, taking vitamins, you know, doing like, uh, you know, like wellness, you know, related stuff. But I think all the other stuff was compounding. Like I wasn't really happy. There was a situation going on. Um, but you're right. I, I do feel maybe to some degree that there is uh, contributing factors, let's say, that cause and create that. Um, I am very, very curious, though, with this writing um, for individuals listening right now to my audience who want to be aspiring writers in general. What are some tips that you can give that allows them to just move inch closer to that dream. Okay. So for someone who was always very scared about anything uh, new, tackling anything new, and especially something that she didn't feel very confident with, um, what I can first suggest is just to take baby steps. Make the decision, because just when you make the decision is is one big step, but don't think that you're going to start writing a, um, a bestseller don't think you're going to be writing the next, the next Oscar winning screenplay. Don't think you're going to be winning the Pulitzer Prize. Just start writing and start with small steps, a paragraph, a phrase, um, and just do a little bit every day. I think that takes a lot of the pressure off and it really helps to start building momentum as you go. And then the other thing is to have a plan. Because only when you have an end goal, you can say, okay, I know what the end goal is. And then you make the baby steps. How are you going to get there? Yeah, you know, J.K. Rowling, the famous um, you know, writer um, for the Harry Potter series of books, has a particular environment or process that she goes into. I, I read that she rents out a castle and, and writes, do you have any rituals or anything that puts you into that headspace or that mind space? Uh, no, sometimes I don't have a castle, so I can't go there. <laughs> but um, sometimes if I'm before I write, I will just take a couple deep breaths. And I think it also helps to have a place where you write and you always write in the same place. So um I moved in uh, almost five years ago now to this little apartment. It's, it's very small. But the thing that really sold it, even though my, my terrace, I have a patio outside, which is bigger than my apartment, but <laughs> you would think that would have been the biggest selling point. It wasn't. It was a small, very small room, which I turned into a studio. And I said, this is where I'm writing. And this has been, for me, um, very productive. You know, you spoke about being an expat, and now I think COVID has shown a lot of people that you don't have to be tethered physically to your work environment that you could maybe, what are some lessons or life lessons that you've learned that not that wish, not that I wish that you wish you could do again, but that you might've been maybe smarter at? For um, remote working? Yeah. Um. Well, for me, I, I'm not sure how personal this, this would be. So when I was in the office, I was really bad about taking breaks. 
And it was only when other people would come and actually pull me away. Hey, it's time for a break. I'm like, okay, oh yeah. And, and it was actually easier for me, not easier, but I realized quickly that I needed to take breaks while I was home. Uh, so I actually, and, and it was also good for productivity as well. And I started the, the Pomodoro technique. I don't know if you know it. It's having I a do. timer. I do. And it's usually about 15 minutes, although you, you really have to figure out what your um, focus time is. So for some people, it could be 40 minutes. For some people, it could be 60 minutes, whatever it is. You get a timer, put that timer on. You work for 15 minutes, stop, get up, move around, do something else, go outside, five minutes, 10 minutes, and then come back and do another timer. And that really doubled my productivity. And I do it now when I'm writing too. So I will always have a timer and I will sit there. And then when it stops, I get up, I walk, I get to take a break, water, coffee, come back, sit down and go back to work. So Michelle, everyone has their reasons for wanting to write in whatever medium or format that they choose. I find it very interesting that screenwriting is something when, even when you talk about it, I see you smiling. What is it about screenwriting that excites you? And what can you offer um, individuals that dream of that possibility, but don't know where to begin? Well, I love screenwriting because I've always loved film. And I remember, and um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college. I just knew I loved, I loved literature. I loved the arts. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what to do. And, and unfortunately, in the United States, it, university costs lots of money. And I found out only my last year of college that I really love film. So um, I, I think I started um, late. I had actually written a, a play during college as well. So um it was, um, I don't know what about it that attracts me so much. I think it's, it's, I'm very visual. I, I think my memory is so visual. I think that's why I like film so much. It, it just combines uh, literature with, with the visual arts. And I think that's just this great combination that, that pulls everything together and you could do so much with it as well. But I also think that um, I started focusing more on film because I didn't think I was good enough to be a fiction, a real writer. And I thought for some reason, screenwriting is easier, but you know what? It's not, it's harder. <laughs> Cause when I wrote my first short story, I was like, geez, this was much easier than writing for a screen for the screen. So if anybody out there wants to start screenwriting, first of all, it's not easier than fiction writing or, or nonfiction writing. It's harder. And one of the books I can recommend, it might be a little bit more complex than other books, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I think it really breaks down story in a good way. And it's just called Story by Robert McKee. So if you want to write, um, I would take that book first. I would use that book first. And then from there, go on to other books because there are lots of books on, on writing. But those yeah. are my, my two tips. It's not easy. And read Story by Robert McKee. Well, also with film writing, it's just uh, you have to think about dialogue. You have to think about character, structure, 
you'd have to think about the actual sort of like environment and direction. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but uh, it sounds so glamorous, right? I, I'm filming, I'm, my film came out, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Well, this was so delightful. So where, Michelle, where can my audience find out more about your work and what you do uh, online? So you can go to my uh, blog. So it's called theresilientwoman.today. And I usually post, uh, I'm not very regular about posting, but I usually post around once a month. And there you'll find tips on resilience and overcoming life challenges. And you can sign up to get regular newsletters. Although if you do sign up and you don't get a freebie, let me know. You can just go to the contact form because I don't think it's working right now. So there might be something wrong with the blog. I have to check it. And if not, you can um, check me out on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Michelle. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.